and welcome to my weekly podcast interview of In the House Seats with me, your host, Craig Bartley. This is where every Sunday we talk about all stuff regarding theatre, film, television and the ups and downs while training for the performing arts industry. Who knows, some things could even relate to your experiences as a theatre wannabe or participant. Or if you are a parent or guardian of a future performer, it may help you to understand about training and the entertainment industry from a different perspective and someone else's point of view. I will be speaking to professional performers, choreographers, adjudicators and industry leaders to find out more about them and their transitions and journeys from learning their crafts to the professionals that they are today. All you need to do is sit back, relax, enjoy and listen with us. Today in the house seat, we have West End lead and vocational tutor, John Barr. Hello, John. Good evening. How are you, Craig? You all right? I'm very, very well. And it's brilliant to have you with me today in the house seat. And I am so excited to know more about you and your career and life in general. So to begin with, tell us how it all started. Where are you from originally? And a little bit about your background and childhood at school. I come from East London. I was born in East Ham. I went to Roman Road Infant School and I was a bit of a bit of a star at that school. And then at the age of 10, we moved and I went to Latham, which was a, a like a like a junior school. That's it. There you go. And within two weeks of being there, I landed the lead in the in the the school production of Harry Nilsson's The Point to play Doblio. I was 10, 11. And then I went on to Langdon School. And when I got there, I joined the choir. And Douglas Shaw, who was the head of music at Langdon Comprehensive School, which was a really rough, really rough comprehensive school, took me under his wing and used to write. He wrote a lot of cantatas for me. I played Louis in The King and I at school, um, did a load of concerts, used to sing an assembly of a Monday morning, which when my sister came to school, The moment she came in, can you imagine, you know, my sister was like 12 and then I hadn't told her I was singing and there's me singing these big pop ballads of the day, you know, in front of, and she's literally getting lower and lower in the sink going, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And then at the age of 12, I auditioned for Sylvia Youngs and by the end of that year, I got into the West End production of Oliver with Roy Hyde at the Albury Theatre. Fantastic. And you were 12, I believe, at that time. I was 12. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Great school to go to. Sylvia Young Theatre School there in Marlebone. So now growing up, were your parents really encouraging for you to go into the entertainment industry? In the end, they loved it. But I think I could remember the arguments my mum and dad would have. He's going to get himself a proper trade. He's going to get himself a proper job. You know, my dad going. But do you know what? At the age of 15 and a half, I bunked off some exams at school to audition for the first national tour of Jesus Christ Superstar. All right. And for me, the most I was 15 and a half. And for me, the most exciting thing about it was, was one bunking of score. I mean, I used to do that quite a lot. I used to go to the theatre a lot. I used to I saw Sweeney Todd and saw Elizabeth Seal, who's now a very dear friend of mine in Chicago at the age of 13, 14. I was obsessed. But I, I bunked off score. But the most exciting thing about this audition was. It was on the stage of the Prince of Wales Theatre. Now, me being the biggest Barbara fan, and you know I'm the biggest Barbara fan, Barbara Streisand fan on the planet, I was singing on the stage where Barbara sang. And I sang Woman in the Moon. I sang, I was warned as a child. And at the end of it, they said to me, how old are you? And I went, 19. I was 15 and a half. Anyway, Ah. cut a long story short, I got the job. So by the time I was 16, 
I was in the first national tour of a number one tour of Angelo Weber and Tim Rice's Jesus Christ Superstar. Fantastic. Well done, you. Now, were your parents in the performing arts at all? No. My dad's family were gypsies. So I think I, I think I probably got it from that side of the family. Although when my nan died, we found some incredible pictures of her when she was about 18 or 19 modelling. And she was so beautiful. So and there's one thing where you can't see me, but she had like this tango dress on and she's doing like this tango pose. And she was so, so beautiful. And her name was Molly. Oh, right. So for the listeners' imaginations, what John's doing, he's doing like a, a flamenco-y arms up tango pose. And I can just imagine her in her like gown yeah. and what have you doing the whole shebang. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Incredible. where you get it from. We're in dresses. I think so. <laughs> no, well, I, do, I do base my dame on my nan I have to admit I do oh, base Which my... we'll talk about yeah, a lot okay, later right. Now have you ever done any other work or jobs Outside of the entertainment profession? I did a call centre job for a morning And I hated it That was about 15 years ago I've always been very good with my money So when I've been out of work I've just lived off of the money that I've put away because I'm not a great socializer. I don't drink. I never smoked. I liked clothes and I liked having a nice home, but I always managed to save so I could be at work for a few months without panicking, paying my tax. And, you know, so I've always been very good with my money. And then about 10 years ago, due to our our mutual friend, Norma Atala, I don't, I'd already done my bit of filming on the Les Mis film. And then she was in the Canadier in scene. And everything got put back. And she rang me one day and said, darling, could you cover my class? And she gave me the dates. And I said, Norma, I've never taught before. And you hung up. Anyway, the following day, I arrived at Mount View to teach these kids. I've never taught anything in my life. Some of them kids that were in that class, there's Jack North, who I've subsequently worked with, Kane Oliver Parry, Claudia, a few other kids that I taught that first class. Just going. And I said, guys, I'm going to be really honest. I haven't got a clue. What does she do? And and now I think I've become quite, well, you've seen me. I'm quite accomplished at what I do. I've found my way of doing my acting through song and bringing out the best in the kids. But I was definitely, thanks to Norma Atala, chucked in the deep end. Amazing. And Norma, I tell you what, Norma was working at Mountain View when I was teaching there as well. And she is such a tour de force and a knowledgeable dictionary of theatre and yep. the craft. Yep. So somebody definitely to learn from. Just going back, though, to learning, when you were at your time of Sylvia Young Theatre School, how did you get on there? Because that does absolutely everything from academics oh. through. Oh, well, I, I didn't go to this. Sylvie didn't have the school then. I used to go to evening classes. My very rough comprehensive school during the day. And on Thursday, Friday and Saturday, in on Thursday, well, Thursday and Friday, we were at a place called Braiding Crescent in Wanstead. And then on Saturday, she had the Notre Dame Hall, which is now the Leicester Square Theatre. Right. And that's where we used to do. Um, we all did, always did the shows either at the Pop Civic or the Queen's Theatre Horn Church, Stratford Theatre Royal, or we did them at the Notre Dame, which it used to be called. And that stage has graced the likes of Francis Raphael, Susie Fennick, Nick Berry, Matt Ryan, Paul DeFreitas. I mean, all the people that, you know, we yeah. know. And of course, in my group, we went to Drury Lane. Drury, well, of course you did, yeah. We went to Drury Lane and we, yeah. oh my goodness. Yeah, all those names that you've just said, yeah. But really, my training... I was very lucky due to Nick Berry having a very bad motorbike. I was saying a motorbike. It was um, a pedal bike accident where he broke his nose. I think it was his ribs and his arm. And they needed a boy to fit in the vaudeville group. So we used to have a rock and roll group and a vaudeville group. So I got brought in 
for that. And the times when I wasn't doing Oliver, I was doing these. And we would go around all to the old age pensioners' homes and sing. And that was. And really- we were called. The Youngins. The Youngins, absolutely. <laughs> my, my big song was, On this night of a thousand stars. You used Fantastic. to sing all the, the old dears, you know. Uh-uh. <laughs> and I ended up with Rockin' Robin. Ooh, oh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I was never cool enough to be in the rock and, rock, rock and roll group. <laughs> and my dance partner was Letitia Dean. Oh, God. Well, Letitia Dean was doing it then. Yeah. How funny. Yeah. God. Yeah. Obviously, because of your ability to perform in musical theatre, you've had the most amazing career path and are really well known on the West End stage. Just a few of your credits are King the Musical, The Story of Bart, Rehab, A New Musical, The Who's Tommy, Sweeney Todd, A Class Act, Ragtime, Sondheim's Assassins, Martin Sherman's Bent, Diamond, The Boy Who Fell Into a Book, The Midnight Hour, Snoopy the Musical, The Merry Widow, Chicago, The Mikado, Evita, Company, and many, many more, which we will chat about later. Do you have a favourite out of those shows just mentioned? Well, there are two favourites. I mean, God, they're all my favourite at the time. I mean, actually, there are three favourites. I mean, I was the youngest person ever to be cast to play the role of Che Guevara at the age of 20, and I got put into the show by the legendary Hal Prince, which was extraordinary. I mean... At the age of 20, doing two shows a week. Rhea Jones was 18 years old, playing the alternate Ava. They'd also never had an alternate Che before. The wonderful Jimmy Keane, who was the main Che, had had quite some big surgery done. And when I got offered to understudy, I said to my agent, I said, I'm not understudying. He said, well, and I said, ask him if I can do a show a week. They do that for the Evitas. Well, Sylvie had the audacity, or I think it was Ronnie, Matthew Ryan's mum, to say, and then Bob Swash said, um, how many shows a week would you like? She said, well, what about two? So I used to do the Wednesday matinee and Saturday evening one week, and then the following week do Wednesday evening and the Saturday matinee, and Rhea would, and I would alternate. And the great thing about that was they always said that Rhea and I would never, ever get on together. And for one night only, we did. And about three weeks ago, I received a Dropbox link, some person recorded that performance and oh, wow. 35 years later i can hear myself going i flying adored, adored. there I, you go extraordinary extraordinary how fantastic it's lovely when you get things like that come through now one of the titles mentioned earlier was amos hart in chicago how was this for you and how are your fossey moves well, my Fosse moves were pretty good. It was a Mitch Sebastian production that we toured around the Far East. We went to Kuala Lumpur and there was an amazing cast. And Susanna Fallows played Mama Morton. Louise Donmel uh, Reeve played Velma. And it's a part I'd always wanted to play. And I mean, it was with the full orchestra. And it was just such a joy, you know, to play that, you know, I hope I haven't taken up too much of your time, you know, to that pathos of that role. And Paul Robinson, Paul Robinson was my Billy Flynn. And we had, oh, my God, we had such a laugh on that job. I mean, I remember that tour going out, actually. I just, yeah. 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 It was, it was fantastic. It was great. Really Lisa great. Lisa Donmel Reeve is fantastic. Oh, she is extraordinary. I mean, she, yeah, she's fabulous. I mean, fabulous. Now, are there any castings that you have ever been to and come out of the audition room and thought, what the hell was that about? 
Well, I think my final recall for Bat Boy, which I was so appalling in because the pressure was on and I kind of knew they liked me. And I think I did the worst audition I thought, and the producer walked me to the elevator. And then when the door closed, Michael Alden, his name was, he said, well, kid, he said, that is the most terrific audition I've ever seen. And I went, really? <laughs> anyway, I got the job and it was so, yeah, I auditioned. This is what I was saying to my students today. Craig, we come from a generation where we were in the room. We didn't do self-tapes. No, you, you know, it's driving me mad, in fact. <laughs> oh, I hate it. I, it's making me, anyway, that's another story. But yeah, I hate it. But. You go in and um, you tread the boards and you work as hard as you can. Well, also, I was saying to these students today, actually, I come from a generation where I auditioned at the lane. I auditioned on the Palladium. I auditioned at the Prince of Wales. And I remember, the, did you ever work with Peter Walker, who looked after Annie for many, many yes, years? Yes, On your toes and that. And I always remember him saying, he gave me my second job, which I was 17, and it was the West End production of Annie. And he gave me the swing boy job. That was my second job. And he always remembered him saying, he said, I can tell how good someone is by before they even open their mouth, by the way they walk onto a stage. Mm, well, the absolutely. kids these days, they walk into a rotten little rehearsal room. The people are up your nostrils. You can't, I never want to perform in that. I always kind of go, I feel like I... It's intimidating, isn't I don't, it? Don't enjoy it. Don't enjoy the audition. It's very process. intimidating because it's so close. Now that leads me nicely into this next question, actually, because you played the role of Dr. Thomas Parker in Bat Boy the Musical at the Shaftesbury Theatre in London's beautiful West End. How did you find the role on the whole as it was really kind of what got you big critical acclaim? It was the, one of the hardest things I've ever done, and I'm going to let you into a little secret now. On the second day of rehearsals, I went back to my digs and I packed my bag and I came back to London because I didn't think I could do it. Right. And it was my, it was the director, Kay Maxson, the, the casting director, and my leading lady, Rebecca Veer, who encouraged me to go back. And Mark Wing Davis said, come back and, you know, stay till Friday and see how you are. And, of course, I, I just had a little bit, something had happened in my, my personal life the year before. And cut long story short, I did this job. And, yeah, I didn't think I could do it. So after the first day, I thought... And then I went home in the lunch break and packed my bag and then they're ringing me on my mobile going, where are you? And I never answered my call. And then eventually came Max and got my landline and said, where are you? I said, I'm at home in London. I can't do it. You've picked the wrong person. Anyway, long short of it is I did the job and it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. It was a massive thing playing this syringe wielding psychopathic doctor who'd invented part, invented the bat boy with a serum. I mean, it's a bit crazy, isn't it? <laughs> it is a bit crazy. And I still say to this day, because when we opened at Leeds, the, the Playhouse in Leeds, we were in this tiny little 400-seater. We were the biggest hit. They, they, All the big London papers were raving, quirky show, great score, great great performances and everything. And the moment, I will never forget, the first after our opening night, Michael Auden came on stage and I was standing next to Becky Veer and Devon May, who was our bat boy. And he, he said, I got some terrific news. And I muttered under my breath to Devon. I said, I just hope we're not going to the Shaftesbury Theatre. And he looked at me and said, why? I said, because shows go there to die. And he went, we are going to the Shaftesbury Theatre. And I went, oh, my God. <laughs> I think that's, you know, it was kind of a white elephant, but I think the Shaftesbury has picked up now with a couple of hits. Yeah. I you mean, know, with your hairsprays and, yeah. and especially Anne Juliet, it's a fantastic show. 
I think, you know, when like Anthony Hopkins was there in M Butterfly, again, I think just Bat Boy, it was a funny year. Woman in White was on. I can't remember what the other show was. Woman in White got all that kind of stuff. We had the most incredible time in previews. The previews were sold out. You could not get a ticket. We opened. The opening night was one of the most extraordinary nights of my life. There were some people that I've been fans of my whole life coming up to me going, oh, my God, where have you been? You're amazing. I was going, oh, my God. And then I woke up the following morning. And I don't read reviews, but my agent rang me at the time and said, "Um, Johnny, the reviews. I mean, it got the worst reviews ever. Really? (laughs) That's what I was meaning by critical acclaim. Yeah. Well. No, we all did sing. I mean, Rebecca Veer and, and Emma Williams and Devon and Maury Richards and David Beckford. I mean, it was the most. And we're all, a lot of us are still in touch now. It really was because sometimes they would. We knew that there were only going to be 12 people in the audience. And sure. the producer would kind of he wouldn't say, look, you have to do it. But we just went, look, we love doing this show. I'd have done it to one person. Now, since your early career began, do you think that theatre and the industry have actually changed much to fit today's social current trends? Well, I suppose it has. I just don't know if I agree with them. I don't think a lot of it has been changed for the best. The audition process is diabolical now. All the the amount of material you get sent and you don't get paid for that time, you know. Yeah. Um, I got friends of mine that take time off of work. They spend a singing lesson and then they get them and said, Oh no, we just want to hear your song. And you go, oh, I've just spent all that. I've been up till three o'clock in the morning. And I think that process needs to be seriously addressed. Send maybe a bit of a song with the, like the money note, the tricky part of it, but trying to learn three songs and four scenes when you get an audition at five forty-five and you've got a urine at four thirty the following day. Well, I'm sorry. I, to be honest, I've turned some auditions down because I just know no one's going to come out of that well. I don't think auditions should be a memory test. I think you should have the paper in your hands and be familiar with it and use it as a reference. Yeah. But they can still tell whether you've got the, the inclination, the intention, you've thought about it. Because then what it does, you just it's this is the thing about a lot of the self-tape, which is why I haven't I done one self-tape in three and a half years. And I did one about three weeks ago for a big project because a friend of mine was associated to it and said, but I haven't done a, a self-tape because I think I've never got an I've never got even a recall from a self-tape. And also the ones I used to send off, I was just glad that I sent the one off in the end that was that got the lines in the right order. <laughs> Bless you. you know? I mean, I feel the same. It's it's just it's a tough process at the moment. Yep. You had the great opportunity to work on a production called Hey Mr. Producer, which was a show that was devised to showcase all the productions delivered by Sir Cameron Mackintosh. What did this involve for you? I think it was like a four, four or five week rehearsal period. And I was in the Miss section. I was in the Miss Saigon section, the My Fair Lady section, and like oohs and ahs and that off stage and everything. It was, look, it was such an extraordinary thing to be part of that Cameron Macintosh alumni thing at that time. And I mean, Awful House, which was this shithole of a rehearsal room. Well, you've been there, haven't you? I have. We did um, Greece rehearsals there. I mean, but, you know, just the idea of Julie Andrews and Bernadette Peters in the cafe having a coffee and um, <laughs> Elaine Page and, and Maria Friedman. Who are the other, but like, who is the other? Ellen Green. I mean, Ellen Green. Yeah. I've got all these great pictures, all these great people. It was kind of surreal because yeah. you just go, I'm now having pictures taken with, you know, can I have a picture with you, Bernadette? And can I, it was just, 
I don't know, my, my inner self going, if I died today, I can go, I've done. It was so extraordinary. And then we performed it for the Queen. We all met the Queen after. It was so exciting to be part of. Fantastic. This is so great that I have you here in the house seats. But today, let's leave the working side for a moment and find out more about John the person and not the actor. So let's have a quick fire round of answers, okay? Right. First thing that comes into your mind, just throw it back at me. You ready? I'll be aware. Okay. Give me three loves and passions of yours. Barbara Streisand, Star Wars, and my family and friends. Brilliant. Okay. Favourite food? Well, I learned to cook recently. Well, during COVID, I, my roast dinner, don't tell my mum, but my roast potatoes are pretty amazing. Fantastic. I do love a roast spud. Oh, sure. I'm, mine are brilliant. <laughs> I shall come round. Disliked food? I don't really like chocolate. Do you not? No, I'm not a chocolatey person. Oh, bless you. I, occasionally, I don't mind a snicker or a chocolate bar, but I, I'm not one of these people that eats chocolate or don't have crisps and things like that. I just don't, I'm quite good about You are food. good, aren't you? That's yeah. why you've got a decent figure. I That's try. For sure. First, certainly. Wow. That's admirable. Biggest dislike in people? Dishonesty. I said this to someone the other day. I've always said to partners and things, and I'd rather be hurt by the truth than hurt by a lie. Because a lie will get found out. If someone just says to you, I don't think you're right for this job or I don't love you anymore, I can bloody painful but you go oh, that's the truth but then when you find out they've said just something oh i i and then you find out that it's not that i would rather be hurt by the truth than a lie any day it can be anybody in the world past or present favorite politician i liked obama I oh like me too but we're nice people absolutely what now, would you have done if I'd have said Trump? <laughs> <laughs> I'd have probably clicked the yeah, podcast yeah. off. And this interview is now over. This is now finished. <laughs> yep. For or against the royals? I had such admiration for the Queen. She's a woman that has given up so much of her life and I'm really feeling uh, I mean she was my grandmother I certainly wouldn't be on social media berating my father and my family. I I really get the Queen. Yeah. So four then. Four, yeah, four. Let's say four. Four. For the Queen, maybe. I love Diana. I met Diana a few times. That was amazing. Okay. Cat or a dog lover? Well, I'm definitely not a cat lover. I know our friend Rachel, we've all paid. Oh, the lovely Rachel Stanley. Yes. Lovely Rachel Stanley. Oh, now we've all paid for this mancoon, which is basically a lion, isn't it, really? Let's face it's it. It's huge. We've um, bought a yeah. lion for her. I No, I think I'd like to get a dog, actually. A dog. Lovely. Yes. Little canine friend. Favourite musical score and why? Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. And why? Um, because it was a show I became, I went to the very first preview with my friend Nick Berry and that whistle went off and my, I, I, I feel emotionally even saying this, my life changed. My life, I've only have a, had a couple of moments in my life that have been like that. The other one is when my friend Matthew Ryan, who you know, gave yeah. me the People out, the Barbra Streisand People album with Absent Minded Me and Love is a Bore and at the age of like 11, you know, 11, nearly 12. And it changed, and that voice just, and I, it just, Sweeney Chod and that Barbara Streisand album changed my life. Fantastic. Favourite director, whether film or stage? That I've worked with. It, 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 anything. Oh God, they're all. Well, well let's, I, go, let's go with one you've worked with. 
I mean, it was only a morning and it was really basic, was Hal Prince, just to say that, you know, because I'll tell you a funny story, though. So I saw him at the stage door at like 9.45 in the morning and we'd already, we were doing the show. We were in previews and uh, I'd been put into the show by Ruth Mitchell and, the, and um, Stella and that who were putting the show on. And I knew I had my call with him and I got there and I saw him at the stage door and he went, uh, I went, morning, Mr. Prince. And he went, um, Johnny, I said, I don't need costume. I said, I just need the berry and the cigar. I went, okay, so I put the beret on, did the, the walk on, did it, did it. I turned around, had the cigar, and he went, stop. He came down with the God mic and he went, stop, stop. He said, Johnny, when you go on, do not use the cigar. You look like Betty Davis. <laughs> <laughs> that was my note from Hal Prince. <laughs> but, this is obviously, listeners, this is for um, Che Guevara in the che Guevara, yeah. Vita. Yeah. yeah so every every Che just before he sings Oh What a Circus, he's got his back to the to the audience and facing the coffin. Yes. And he, before he turns around, it takes a big puff of the smoke. Well, I'm I mean, I don't smoke. I mean, look at me now, I look like Petty Davis. <laughs> you do. Oh he's what probably, a circus. But he's um flinging his arms around on screen he, for me. He did give me some great other notes and he put his arm around me and on the on the on the opening night party, he came up to me. I was laughing with someone. And he basically said to me, he said, Kid, he said, you're the only bastard in this piece they can like. Make them like you. Be charming. Be be smiley, you know. And th- I was laughing at the opening night party. And he came back and he went, that's the smile I want to see. And I've never seen him since. And, of course, he's dead now. God yeah. rest his soul. But the man is and was a legend. And he was just to go, I'm singing for Hal Prince. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. What amazing story. Favourite, Fred Astaire or Gene Kelly? Gene Kelly. Yeah, I think me too, actually. I do like Astaire's lines and gracefulness, but Gene Kelly's a man dancing. Yeah, I again, I, it's just, yeah. I mean, look, Astaire, you can't really compare them enough, but I get my thing would be definitely Gene Kelly. He was sexy as well. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, Very handsome. Favourite film ever? Star Wars, the first, the very first Star Wars. That and Funny Girl is a very, very fine line. <laughs> How can you go from Star Wars to Funny Girl? <laughs> well, they're kind of, I am that, you know. Oh, bless. <laughs> now, last question on this quick fire round. Which music is your favourite love? Irving Berlin, Gershwin or Cole Porter? Gershwin. And you know what? For my 40th birthday, a friend of mine, my lovely friend Tony Mathis, bought me a very rare first edition of a book that the Gershwins wrote themselves. And she sent it, but before she sent it over, she had a flick through and there was a letter from Ira Gershwin in on very fine paper. I'll send it to you that I've got a copy of. Amazing. And it was, it was a handwritten note. It says, love Ira. It's extraordinary. Gosh, that's amazing. Now, going back to when you worked on Andrew Lloyd Webber's Aspects of Love at the beautiful Prince of Wales Theatre, how did this make you feel to be an original cast member of such an iconic show at the time? It was so exciting to get that job because on my final audition was at the Playhouse and I was in Les Miserables at the time at the Palace Theatre and I, my audition was at like five to six and I had to be in warm up by like 6.30 for Les Mis. And I, I remember saying to Trevor at the end of my audition, I said, I need to know about this today because I need to sign my contract for Les Mis. I need to know today. Anyway, I got back to the theatre and my Sylvia rang me to tell me, she said, 
you've got it. And you, I think next to Ball, next to Michael Ball, if I remember rightly, I was the first person in the show to be cast because I, I put that pressure on them. Well, Cut to doing the job. The friends that I made on that show, I'm still friends with. It was... It was an experience, that show, because uh, I'd left Les Mis playing a really great track, two great covers, good money, to do an original Weber show where we did very well with the album, but I had five lines to do every night, and it was not good for me. But it was incredible to work with Trevor. He was so incredible to work with Annie Crumb. To be in the room with my James Bond, Roger Moore, Roger Moore then subsequently. Oh, of course, out, yes. Which was so sad. He did the sits probe, and we never saw him again. He was such a gentleman and so, so funny. There was one day we were doing a warm-up with Jilly Lynn and we warmed up those Jilly Lynn's, all those inappropriate words that she used to use. And But out of the silence one day, we were all laying on these mats with the legs up in the air and there was this silence. And then Roger Moore says, this reminds me of how I got into the movies. <laughs> and I've never forgotten it. <laughs> but Michael Ball was extraordinary. Annie Crum, who remained a very dear friend of mine until she passed, then Kevin Colson came into the show, who is was such a gentleman. And look, Andrew was around. It was such an exciting time. I just wished I'd have had a bit more to do. It, I learned a lot about myself on that job. Now, staying with theatre for a moment, if there were one particular role that you could play, what would it be? Or have you played your favourite already? No, it's the only role that really I want to do. And it's Fagin in Oliver. Wow, you'd be great at that. Because I, I, it's a part I know that I look right for, and my voice is in right in the right thing. And uh, and then to, and in my in my Lionel Bart show that I do, I know so much about Lionel and about Fagin. Yeah, I think I could definitely. I've I got close to it recently, actually, about two years ago. I got and they, it was between me and my friend Matt, Matt Ashford, and he got it. I mean, he's very like Ron Moody, very wiry and very, and whereas I'm not that, but you know, got very close to getting it. Did all the material, so yeah, I could see you doing that. Actually, it'd be really good. Yeah. Oh, what the hell? We produce it ourselves. Absolutely. There you go. With all those savings we, you've had on chocolate. Well, we know enough Nancys, don't we, Tony? <laughs> Yes, but the ones that we know are always sing can't put their vowels right as long as he needs May. Who the hell is May? Oh, no, I don't get the word. The word is me. It's me. As long as he needs me. Mind oh. you, I'll tell you one of the best people that I've ever worked with in my life, what a lady, is, of course, Shaney Wallace, who played Nancy in the oh, film you, of Oliver. Did you work with Shaney? I did 42nd Street with her at Drury Lane. Wow, isn't it funny? Because we we were possibly going to do something big and very splendiferous with our Lord, um, I keep calling it Lord Webber, Lionel Bart show. And she got approached about coming on to do something. So, yeah, because she's yeah. in her 80s now. She is. She lives on Malibu Beach with yeah. her dresser. Her dresser, I can't remember her name. I think it was Janine or somebody or Julie. She She asked her dresser to go over and be her housekeeper. Wow. And moved her over there, lock, stock and barrel. She she got really unwell with her and, you know, she's still working for her. Wow. But Shaney is a lovely, classy, classy yeah. lady. Yeah, and yeah. another lady that also played the part of Nancy at the Albury in York. I can't remember if you had a Sally Dexter or whether it was Georgia Brown. No, I, I had Gillian Burns. Gillian Burns was out. Oh, Gillian Burns, right. Gillian okay. Burns and then Helen Shapiro took over. Okay, but uh, the original is Georgia um, Brown, and uh, she was the original Dorothy Brock in London. Yes, she was. I, I love Georgia Brown. Yeah, yeah, Georgia Brown. Well, the girl, yeah. the girl who plays Nancy in in our Lionel Bart show, we say when when we do it on the big occasions, is a lady called Jodie Jacobs, who's the most extraordinary singer, and she is uh, Georgia Brown's niece. 
when she sings it, she, I mean, she doesn't go mad. She's saying me. And it's really like, oh my God. I mean, Jodie Jacobs is an ext- is a force to be reckoned with. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, changing the subject now from work, what have you been up to in lockdown and all through this COVID scenario? And have you learned any new skills or taken up a new hobby? Well, I had COVID for five months and it was pretty debilitating and a bit mind-blowingly frightening, to be honest. Living on my own and that, it was kind of, yeah, it was not nice. But when I came out of it, I I resumed my teaching. I've never taught online before. did a lot of stuff online. I did the Godspell concert for Stephen Schwartz. I did a gender swap concert where I finally got to sing Jennifer Holiday's hit, I'm Changing from Dreamgirls. Went back to teaching online. I did a Christmas concert with Samantha Womack. And my God, I got to sing with my goddaughter. Wow. And my friend Jenna Russell, it's um, her daughter is my goddaughter. And we sang Where Is Love, which was, oh, don't that makes me feel so emotional because it was just one of those moments in my life when it was so beautiful. Yeah, so beautiful. yeah. Uh, and then I've just gone back to teaching and I've never been uh, um, interested in food, really. I mean, I was always a bit of a go to Sainsbury's by the ready meal and microwave seven minutes later, sit down, wash up the fork and knife and go to bed. Yeah, now like I full on. I love cooking. I've learned to do a spag bog, roast dinner. Yeah, it's good. Good for you. Well done. You've accomplished something. Now, you've played the role of Skimbleshanks, a railway cat, in Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats in the Cypriot production. How was this? Is It's quite a demanding part. Well, there's a very funny, there's a very funny video online of me getting the, the Jellicle ball right, and it was being filmed. And we'd only just blocked it, but it was the first time we'd run it. And at the end of it, there's like expletive, expletive, expletive. I got it right! Expletive, expletive, expletive. Um, it was, look, Linda May Brewer, Louise Dillman was our Grisabella, Oliver Thompson was Monkus, strap gareth mason was gus i mean let alone all these incredible dancers oh my god i mean i look i can't dance craig i'm not like you i'm not a dancer and i remember when i andrew McBain, i heard andrew mcbain who i knew was doing it i cheekily just said can i be in it and, and i said i could do this again <laughs> and he went anyway i did have to go in an audition and i said look i'm no dancer but that number used to kill me because i still had to run around and go there's a whisper down the line and you know it's a hard song to yeah. sing you know it's kind of very wordy very wordy and I used to come off in the heat in my lycra and practically I was like you'll bring her in the king and I with my oxygen in the wings going (laughs) (laughs) bless you but you got through it and you lived to tell the tale and you got the credit and it's like when I did a chorus line I did chorus line with Donna McKechnie but I did it on the radio and when when John Langridge the producer rang me to say I'd love you to play Paul and I said but I can't dance and he went it's for the radio dear Thank goodness for you. So I've done two of the biggest dance musicals on in the planet, you know, on the planet, and I can't dance. There you, you know, go. I, I can move, but well, yeah. there's a lot of people out there in certain shows, and they can't sing they either. Can but there you go. But that's yeah. another story. Now on TV, you have been seen in Taboo for the BBC, The Bill for ITV, The Purple People Eater for ITV, Pebble Mill for BBC, and Wednesday at Eight for Thames Television. Although. What I would love to chat about is when you delivered the role of Convict 5 on the big screen in the film version of Les Miserables. Having performed this on the stage production in the West End, is this what gave you the opportunity to be featured in the film so much? 
I got a call to audition for the film. And my audition was the day before I started rehearsals for pantomime. And I shaved all my hair and my beard and I was very clean shaven. I'd done a self-tape for Nina Gold and got in to then go and meet Cameron, Tom Hooper, Claude Michel, Alan and all that stuff. And I, I had to sing the whole, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, I had to sing every of the five solo lines. And then at the end of it, they went, very good. Could you do it again? And this time, can you be more breathy? And all? And then Tom Hooper said, probably a really stupid question. He said, but would you mind shaving your head? And I just bought one of my faces thinking, oh, my God, I've just lost myself a job. Anyway, I got the job about two days later. They said he's got the job and he can't shave or cut his hair for four months. And I went, I can't. I'm playing a dame in a pantomime. So when the pantomime finished... I didn't, I looked like a homeless. I don't think you saw me at that point. I literally, and then I got there for my makeup test and they shaved everything. I'd lost out on two adverts because oh, no. you don't look, you don't look, you don't look untidy enough. It looks, and I hadn't touched it. And then they stuck all my bits and pieces, shaved my head very badly. I had this in two, three incredible prosthetics on my face. It was about five or six weeks. We didn't rehearse every day, but we rehearsed that pulling, ha ha. The five of us with Hugh Jackman, there was, I can't remember everyone's, everyone's name now. There was Gavin Cornwall and Adam Jones and myself. There was an older guy. And initially I had the line, how long, which is the line I'd sung in the show. Yes. And they, they took that off of me and gave it to the older guy. It got cut in the film in the end, in the cut, it went. And wow. I got, my line was, um, I know she'll wait. I know that she'll be true. And I get a big close up and they actually use my close up as part of the Oscar part of it. Which yeah, meant that Barbara Streisand would have seen me on the telly. So I'm very Johnny happy. Barr and Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about working with Hugh Jackman. Did you work much with him? Well, not much. I mean, he was he was around and he was absolutely adorable. I mean, very, very funny. But you know, when you're a movie star, he was going through that whole diet thing at the time to lose all that weight. And then um we spent six days in that stinking. I mean, the only way the extras could go to the toilet, they peed in that water. So on the last day, it was rank. And I wasn't in the water. I was on the side. Adam Jones was in the water. Oh, my God. You have recently been seen in many pantomimes across the country, such as Robin Hood, Jack and the Beanstalk, Dick Whittington, Aladdin, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Mother Goose and Peter Pan. What's it like to play Dame at Christmas? Oh, my God. Well, my panto career started off me playing Peter Pan and then I played Jack and then I moved up to Aladdin. And then I did a few, I played all those kind of other boys, Dick Whittington. And then I um, went to First Family and did The Squire. My first one with First Family with, with Stephen Mulhern uh, at Bromley. And then Barbara Windsor came to see the show and said to Scott, who was casting her husband, Scott, he needs, that boy's funny, he needs to play Dame. And then the following year, I did my first ugly sister, rather, sorry, not Dame, with Ian Good with Nigel Havers at Richmond. Right. Then I did quite a few ugly sisters. I did it with David Lang and we did the one with Steve Gutenberg, the movie star Steve Gutenberg. Oh, yes, yeah. From I've Three Men and a Baby. I've done 28 pantomimes in my career. Goodness me. Do you have a favourite subject that you like doing? Out of the dames I've done, I like twanky. 
Dottie and Jack and the Beanstalk is is uh, Dame Dorothy Trot. I said that's Trot with the double T, not double. Never mind. You know, I like I like all that stuff. You know. Yeah. No, you're good at that because you're very quick witted. It's yeah, I- hard work though because the thing about a dame, and maybe your listeners won't know this, is unlike a lot of the other pantomime characters, when a dame isn't on stage, they're in the dressing room changing. Because every time a dame comes on, it's a different costume. It doesn't always have to be different boots or a different wig, but it has to be your main thing. You know, your has to be a different outfit. And sometimes it's to do with a gag. Sometimes it's just a look. But it means that you're constantly changing. Yeah, it's exhausting. Yeah. yeah. I've never played dame, but my favourite topic is Dick Whittington and Aladdin. Well, I just think there's something you can really get into there. Dick Whittington is brilliant. Paul Hendy wrote me an incredible King Rat. He was like this um, faded West End star. And I sang 11 show, so- 11 show songs that I sang. And I'm telling you, I'm not going. Don't know my parade. Memory. Let it go. I mean, I sang all the bit, only the ends of all of them. Because every time he came on and going, parade, it was like, it was but three shows on a Saturday singing all those epic songs, even though they weren't in the right keys. They were like lower keys, but just singing those money. I sang the whole song of Don't Run on My Parade at Canterbury. In Sheffield, I sang Let It Go with different lyrics, which is a big scene. Now, even though theatres are currently closed, is there anything on the cards for you coming up or can't you say? Um, no, there's nothing coming up for me. I, I just want to teach. Are you coming back to StarQuest Performance College? If you invite me, yes. When are you I coming would... back? Are you going back in? We're going back in September. Great. With a new team of, of students. Fabulous. So that's something to look forward to. Fabulous. You can always come oh, down, Johnny. I you, know, I'd love to. And how's always your welcome. Talk, by the way, I'll talk, speak to you about your mum after, but yes, I'd love to, Craig. Thank, <laughs> yeah, let's, that. let's talk about that after the interview. I, I would accept that invitation on air. Amazing. Now, I'm sure whatever role you go into next, that you will be working for many years yet to come. What amazing career you've had within the industry. And it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you today and learn about your career along with my listeners. We will all want to go to live entertainment more than ever very soon. So to all my listeners, I suggest you get your West End tickets booked very, very quickly for as many shows as possible. And you know, just enjoy yourself. Get out there. Great to chat with you today, John. And thank thank you you so much for being in the house seats. Take care, everyone. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Unfortunately, that's it for this week. However, don't forget to tune in every Sunday for my next guest chat soon. This broadcast can be heard on my personal website at www.craigbartley.com or tune in on Spotify, iTunes, and don't forget to give us a five-star review. Google Podcasts, Stitcher Worldwide, Amazon, and by looking up In the House Seats with Craig Bartley. 